We are going to be in another book, but I want to start off by just reading this. If you will lean in with me this morning, I would greatly appreciate it. Psalm 103, we're going to read this. It says this, Blessed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I, oh, I didn't plan on stopping. But here's what I feel in my heart today. That my series, the, the sermon that the Lord gave me is it starts with a shout. And we're going to get to the triumphal entry in just a moment. But I want to declare to you today that as David was singing this psalm, because that's what this is. This is David singing a song, shouting to the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. When do you start shouting with everything? thing in you? When in your life have you just let loose and cut loose and said, I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's listening. I need to shout unto God a sound of praise and glory to his name for all that he's done, that I would not forget his benefits. He said he redeemed your life from the pit. Now, some of y'all may not think you have ever been in a pit, but let me tell you, up until the moment you encountered Christ and you allowed that light and that redemption to come into your story, you were in a pit. But the sad truth is you've been in that pit since day one, so you didn't even know it was a pit. You thought it was just your life. But God, through his grace and mercy, brought you out of darkness into his light to where you could go, wait a minute, that's what I was in? You mean I was down in there and God's like, yes, you were. And let me tell you another truth. You didn't have any chance of getting out of that pit. Had it not been for me, there was no hope of getting out of that pit, sis. I, your pit was your life until me. And now you get to pass by your pit on occasion just to remind yourself, hey, hey, I used to be down there. Dad, that used to be me. But thanks be to God who is good and great and merciful, who has not esteemed my sin to be something to be shoved to the side and forgotten, but something to be redeemed and forgiven. That's who we serve. Amen. We gonna preach this morning. And I mean we. Y'all gonna preach with me this morning. Amen. He says this who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We got any people in here been serving God for a while and you're kind of getting tired? Your spirit or your physical man's getting labored. It is not coming as easy as it used to be. Sunday mornings, you can't quite get up with the same pep in your step. You can't just jump up like my son who just, I just walk into his room. I don't know anybody has kids, but my Lord, my son is amazing. I just walk into his room, say Jack's twice. That's all I got to say. One, it's weird. He never hears me on the first time. Maybe he does, but he doesn't, okay? But my Lord, when I say his name the second time, he goes, hey, Dad, hey, hey. Just like that every morning. I don't know if it's because I scare him awake or what it was, but that kid jumps up out of his bed, and I'm like, whew, I remember when Dad used to be able to do that. You want to know how Dad gets out of bed now? Oh, let me put my hand. I literally find a side of the bedpost to put my hand so I can push myself up out of the bed. And I sit there. I don't get right up. Anybody knows this, all right? You don't ever stand straight up out of the bed because you're going right back down in the bed if you do. So I got to go up in increments. Yeah, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Another two inches. Let's go. Okay, there we go. But. But how many of y'all kind of feel that in your spirit this morning? And man, I remember when I used to come to church and they didn't have to beg me to praise him. They didn't have to ask me to lift my hands. They didn't, but my spirit is so weakened that I have to get myself up in the morning and kind of stand up. And by the third song, you're kind of, okay, now we're good. Now we're good. Let me tell you, there's a promise to you in this scripture that says he will renew your youth like the eagle. And I'm telling you, we need to understand that we have access to that strength this morning. Mm. 
all because of what we're celebrating this week. The only reason we can do that and claim that is because of what he did during this time over 2,000 years ago. That's why it's so big of a story. Because we get these benefits. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for that one, just for me. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Somebody needs to shout God for that one. I don't know about y'all, but he ain't repaying your iniquity for what you, with what you deserve. In fact, he says, all your sin, give it to me. I'll give, you, I'll give you some grace. Give me all your trouble, I'll give you joy. You know, I'll give you all the good stuff. You just give me your junk. That's what God is offering to you this morning. I'm not preaching about a life that is without pain or sorrow, but I am preaching about a life that has constant joy and unshakable peace and unwavering faith and an undenying confidence in who God is in your life. That's what I'm talking about. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Talking about Egypt, their land swarmed with frogs, even their chain. Oh, I'm done. My Bible done slipped over, didn't it? See, let me go back to Psalm 103. My bad, guys. Let's go back. We was on Egypt. We done went. We done went. We done went to a whole nother series, a whole nother time. That's what one page does to you. One page, and I'm that far off. Amen. It's all right. It's all right. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. <laughs> and he remembers, what does he remember about us? This is so good. Now, it does not say he remembers all the good things you do. He does not say he even remembers the bad things you do. You want to know what he remembers about you? That you are dust. And I begin to think about that. Why does he remember that? God, I've been serving you for a while. I'm pretty sure I've done some pretty good things. Can you remember those things? He's like, no. No, I'm not going to remember your good or your bad. I remember that you're dust. And what does that remind me of? You're, you, you need me. Don't we forget that about people sometimes? We forget that about others. And we just castigate them. We, we, we dismiss them because of their failures and their sin. But we need to remember they're just like, they're dust, just like us. In desperate need of a savior. In desperate need of help in those moments. They're acting out of their pain. They're acting out of their being dust. That They, they don't have this divinity to them. God says, I remember that. I remember. And that's, that's the, reason, the reason why I remember your dust is so I remember why you're struggling the way you are. Depression, that's all right, you're dust, I get it. But that's why you need me. That's why I'm here to give you this. That's why I came. Because you are dust and you can't overcome anything without me. He says he remembers we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do the commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And that's the passage, like I want you to remember that right there, that his kingdom rules over all. His sovereignty is without question. It is not to be debated. It is to be praised. It is to be illuminated and lifted up. God is sovereign over all your days. If you fear him, he is sovereign over your pain, over your success, over your loss, over your troubles, over your triumphs. He is sovereign over that because his kingdom rules over all. Bless, and then he finishes with these last three verses in Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers 
who do his will. Everybody knows you're a minister. I'm not the only minister in the house. You are ministers. So you do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I read that and it just brung up in me such an excitement for what God is doing in my life, in this church, in the church, in the world. And sometimes it's hard to see, I get it, but God is moving. God has not grown slack in his power. He has not grown lazy in his pursuit of bringing his kingdom to earth. He has not done that. Now, we, his people, have sometimes grown slack and lazy in praying the prayer that he taught us, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, that's the problem. There is the disconnect. Not his will, but our effort to pursue him, to pray, and to ask that this would be done. And so today, I wanted to start off with a, a shout of blessing the Lord because we're going to see today about this incredible event called the Triumphal Entry. It's Palm Sunday. I usually don't preach messages that kind of really hit the day on the head. I've never preached an Easter message that was just the cross. I've never preached a Christmas message that was just the birth. But for some reason, the Lord really got to me and said, I need you to preach this because I need my people to see me for who I am. And there's a reason why that he wanted me to show you this. And I hope that you can listen for just a few moments as I teach you a little, but then we'll get into some preaching. My buddy Stan told me this morning, he says, man, you can teach when you're sitting, but you preach when you're standing. And I was like, okay, so I need to, I need to make sure I'm following that, okay? So for a while I'm teaching, I'm going to sit for just a moment because I want us to go through something. We are in the book of Mark. Go with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. This story is in all four gospels. You can find them in all of them. The ones that we will be looking at is uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. We're going to skip Luke. Um, not because I don't like Luke. I love Luke. Luke's an awesome guy. All right, me and my sister spent about three months in the book of Luke for a while. So we love it. But the reason why is because there's three different perspectives that you gain from these three different books on the triumphal entry and what it means. Now, at this time... Jesus is getting ready to begin the last week of his life. Last week of his life. Jesus knew that. Did not come, did not shock Jesus that this would be the last week of his life. And this is how he chose to start this week. Now, a little, a little context, some history before this moment. Jesus was spending the night with his friends. And we talked a while back about the value of friendship, right? Jesus had friends. And these three friends was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Anybody know what Jesus did for Lazarus? Amen. Amen. That's a pretty cool story, right? And we're going to reference that in just a minute. So he's, he's traveling. He knows that his destination is Jerusalem, the city. But he says, I'm going to do something before I get there. And you can learn a lot by watching Jesus' life if you'll actually take into, into uh, the whole picture of what he's doing. Before he did this next step, the triumphal entry, he said, I need to go by my friend's house. I want to spend time with them. Because he knew this week was going to be really, really hard. In fact, we learn later and we'll talk about throughout this next week during some of the services about him praying in the garden and how pressurized of a moment that was for him. But he already knew it was coming. And to get himself ready, he said, I want to go by my friend's house. You want to know what I thought there for a moment? Because I, I, when I preach about Jesus and sometimes I bring out some of his humanity, I feel like some of the church kind of kicks back. Like, nope, that can't be right. He was, he was all God. Yeah, he was. But he was all man too. Amen. He was all me, all you. And so every emotion, that's why the Bible can say with confidence that in every way possible, he was tempted and tried as we are. That is pretty cool, right? So he had to open himself to the, to the cornucopia of human emotions and thoughts that would happen. And so here he is, I believe, I'm just going to put myself in this story just for a moment. I believe he's like, man, this is going to be a really hard week. I'm stressed out. My, my physical body is, is under so much pressure that in a few days I'm going to sweat blood because of how anxious and, and fearful this moment is. Now his inner man, the God man, did not allow it to overwhelm him, but I believe it was there. And he says, you know what? I need to go talk to somebody. I need to go see my friends. I need to go remind myself who I am by seeing what all I have done. I raised that guy from the dead. 
I raised that guy from the dead. And so if I can raise him from the dead in three days after I die, I'm going to come back. It was a way for him to reinsure himself of what was going to happen. And so he spent a night with his friends. And the Bible says that everyone heard about him staying at that house. And the Bible says that the town tried to come out and see him. And the reason why is because they heard that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Isn't that really what draws people to the Lord? is what he has done in someone's life. You want to know why I try to tell you to declare who God is in your life, to tell people about what he's done, to not withhold the good things that God is doing in your life, even as minimal as it, and as small as you may think it is, that if you would declare the goodness of God in your life, it would draw others to want to come and meet this God. But for some reason, we hold to these things and we, let, we don't let them out because we're scared to say anything. We're scared to brag on God because someone will be like, that girl's crazy, that boy's crazy. But because of what God did in Lazarus' life, everybody was trying to come see Jesus. Everybody. And it says it. Everybody was trying to come see Jesus. Man, I hope, I hope to God that our lives are lived in a way that it shows everybody who God is and they want to know who Jesus is because of us. Because I've lived a life long enough that I've done a lot of things that would make people not want to know Jesus because of some of the things I've done. Just being honest with you. So, so I think it's about time for me to get my life in a place where I can at least do a little better in that position. Y'all do realize there's a, there is a responsibility on you? Like this isn't just a, just a come and get and consume and consume and consume. It's about giving as well. You do realize that, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm not trying to blast you. I'm trying to encourage you that there's power in your testimony. There's power in telling people what God is doing in your life. Why would they come if they don't hear about what God's doing? That's why we should come out of this house every time we gather with a shout of praise about what God is doing. That's why you should go on your job saying, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. I can't forget what he done for me. Let me tell you about what Jesus is doing in my life. Don't just keep it inside. So Jesus is like, I, I need to go see my friends and I need to get ready for this week. And so we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they draw near, drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. Now, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Why are you taking that donkey? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went. They went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street and they untied it. And guess what? Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. So here is Jesus about to make this incredible declaration, and you're going to understand what the monumentous moment was in this declaration and what he's doing, this act of riding this donkey. But he tells his disciples, he said, hey, you two, go get the donkey. Now, when I read that a while back, years ago, I read that, and, and, and the Lord put on me, like, would you be willing to accept a donkey mission? That, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, would you be willing to accept a donkey mission? Because in my head, I'm thinking, I, I, I want to be used for great things. Like, send me ahead to be the town crier about your coming. Hey, Jesus is coming. Like, let me do that. But why? What, I don't want to go get no donkey. And the Lord said, I need you to go get a donkey. Now, I don't, it doesn't say they kicked against that, but in my opinion, they may not have said anything, but they were probably walking with each other. Why in the world are we going to get this donkey? Like, what is the point in getting this donkey? And I don't know who's, uh, how are we going to find this donkey? I'm walking to a city. He just told me it's going to be, hit, it's going to be tied to a door. How many doors are on the houses of this city? So I'm going to have to go door to door looking for a donkey tied up to it. And then, then I just got to take it. 
But if someone asks me, then I can say the Lord sent me. That doesn't even make sense. They don't know the Lord. They don't know who I am, but they see me taking their donkey. All these things are playing in my head. I'm like, I know. I don't think I would be okay with going on your donkey mission, Lord. But these two men did it. And some people like to do this. Some theologians and some biblical people like to raise this argument that maybe Jesus privately went ahead and made arrangements with this person. Are you missing the whole point of the story? You're missing the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is to display God's incredible divine foreknowledge and knowing and sovereignty over the whole situation, even his own death. Because he told him, I've already been there. I know what's going to happen. I didn't orchestrate it, but I'm going to tell you how it was going to work out. You go, find the donkey, untie it. Anyone says anything, say the Lord needs it. They're just, they're just going to allow it to happen. You know, that's how powerful God is. If he tells you to do something, you don't have to worry about, is everybody else going to get on board? Everybody else going to be on, um, they're going to be a fan of what I'm doing. They're going to let me do it. Let me tell you something. If God tells you to do it, you get out there and you do it and you watch God make the way. You watch God organize and structure everything to enable you to do what he's called you to do. That's how sovereign God is. That's how powerful your God is. Don't miss the point trying to to navigate your way around it logically. It is not logical what God did this last week. It is not able for your human mind to make reasons for why it worked. God did it in a God way, so just let God be God. God said, I know what's going to happen. There's a donkey there. I've already seen it. Go get it, untie it, bring it back to me. They didn't realize what he was doing. They didn't realize what he was doing. And it's not the first time that that happened. Let me show you another time. If you will, go with me to uh, Mark chapter 14. Just a couple pages over. Look at what happened in Mark chapter 14. Another sovereign moment of his days. Listen to this. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. It says this. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent, to him, he sent two disciples and said, go then into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So here's another time where Jesus is like, all right, look, you're going to find a man carrying water. I just, I just always stop because some of his instructions are so obtuse. It's like, how, what is this? How are you making this work? You mean I'm going to find a dude carrying water? That dude's going to show me where to set up a station for you to come into this guest room of this master's house. Because it wasn't even the master of the house. The guy carrying the water was a servant. He's like, go to the servant of the house. Let him lead you into the house. And when you get there, I'm going to give you favor with the master. Just ask him, hey, where's the guest room at? We can have dinner. I'm just like, man, I feel like that in my life sometimes when God gives me instructions. Hey, Danny, I want you to start a church in the middle of a pandemic. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't sound logical to me. I even had people tell me that. Hey, are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Let's be honest with y'all. When we started this thing, I was not sure. I get a phone call. Hey, won't you meet us up here somewhere? Didn't tell me where, just gave me an address. Felt like the guy on a, on a donkey mission. Just come to 4214 West Stone Drive. I ain't going to tell you what it is. Okay. Pull up on the property. See this building. Next thing you know, here we are a year and four months later, and we are to the point now to where we're like, okay, where are we going next? Because we are filling up fast. God is doing something. Amen. It is. It's amazing. But we got to be, we have to be ready to go on some donkey missions and some water cup bearing people missions to find our next guest house, guest room for us to sup with the Lord, right? Y'all understand where I'm taking you, right? Like we got to be willing to say, I'll go on a donkey mission. I'll go on a, a servant carrying cup finding mission. I see all of this just get crazy sometimes. I'll do that, Lord, because I don't know what you're doing. But I know you're doing something. I don't know how you're doing it, but I know you're doing it. It scares me. It, 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 it calls me to question some things sometimes. But God, you know what? I'll find it. I'll go looking for it. I'll untie it, and I'll find you something to use. See, he said that this donkey had never even been sat on. 
It hadn't even been used. It had just been tied up its whole life. It had just been not even being able to do what it was born to do. Donkeys were born to carry things. And the Lord said, hey, yes, you are, oh, you are this donkey. Yes, it was created to carry things, but it is so specific in that I got something so special for it to carry. I don't want it being touched by anything else. I don't want it carrying anything else. Its whole life, it's not going to carry a thing, even though that's what it's born to do, because I've got something for it to carry later on. I've got something special for it to carry. Let me tell you something. God's got something special for you to carry. God's got something so special for you to carry. And all it takes is someone being willing to untie you. And how many knows that's exactly what Jesus did? He went on a donkey mission. I was that donkey. I was that donkey. That God came and untied and said, hey, I need you to carry my gospel. I need you to carry my name. I need you to. So it's okay. It's okay. I'm untying you, son. Let's go. And so what, is, what does this all mean? Right? We're at Passover. We're six days before the, the, the feast of Passover. If you want to take notes, if you're like a student of the Bible and you like like some 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 teaching here. This is in what the month of the Jewish calendar called the month of Nisan. Not like Versa or Rogue, you know, not to, not the cars, but Nisan. And they say that, that this was around the 15th of Nisan at this time. And it was the Sunday that was getting ready to lead into Holy Week. And this is what happens. He goes, says, go get me a donkey. I need it. They don't understand what's about to happen. What he's about to do is do something so audacious, so big, such a grand gesture that the people don't even understand it yet. Because what they don't realize is that through the whole book of Mark, if you go back and read it, not one time does Jesus come out and say, I am the Messiah. In fact, what he does is when he does touch people, he says, don't tell Don't tell nobody. Right? And then you go back a little bit and you see when Peter tells him who he is, when Jesus says, who am I? Who do they say I am? All right, now who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ, the Christ. That is a declaration. I see you're the Messiah. He says, now flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the spirit of God. Now don't go tell nobody. Shh, keep that on the down low. Because he understood that there was coming a time that once that declaration went forth out of his mouth, that it would be the end. And his work wasn't done yet. He's like, I know that if I say this, it's going to stir up the people enough that they're going to be ready to grab me right then and there. So he hadn't declared it yet. But what he does is this. He says, go get me a donkey. I'm going to ride it into the city. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? He still doesn't say who he is. But what he's doing is he is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Let me, I got to read it to you because you you may not believe me, which is fine, which is fine. I want you to go with me uh, to Matthew chapter 21. I told you we would reference this passage. Matthew chapter 21. This is another recount of the story of the trial for entry. Matthew 21 verses 4 and 5 says this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So this, the, all these messianic prophecies that say, this is how Jesus is coming. He says, I'm going to make a big, bold declaration to the whole people. Because everyone in this time, Jewish, would have known that story, would have known that prophecy like the back of their hand. You realize that, right? Like, they didn't raise kids the way we do. All right? When they raise kids, they raise kids in the gospel. Back then, the Torah. Back then, the, the Pentateuch. Back then, the old scriptures, right? I understand that. But they, they were raised to read, remember, and quote verbatim what it said. I kind of wish we would kind of do more of that with our kids. And when I say we, I mean me. You know, 
I used to make a joke how that, you know, sometimes maybe I'll look at the pastor's family and think that our house is just filled with, you know, Bible and pop quizzes all the time. Like I walk by Jackson in the hallway, Psalms 33, what is it? Go. <laughs> That's not how it goes at our house, okay? <laughs> There's no like Russian roulette scripture game going on, okay? Might be cool to have that, okay? Might be cool. Y'all implement that and tell me how it goes, okay? But I wish... And the sad thing is I don't have to wish. I just should do it, right? Like there's moments where we kind of use that cop out. Oh, yeah, I oh, wish I could do it. And like, no, you could. You're just lazy and you, you aren't putting in the effort. Because you know what that means? If you're making your kid read, you're probably going to have to read with them. And we don't want that. No, nah, daddy prays on his own, reads on his own. Why? No, no, why don't you show your kids how to pray and read? Why don't you raise them in the word of God? To where when things happen in this world, they know, ooh, I know where that comes from. Oh, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that give such confidence to kids as they grow if they would be able to observe what's happening in the world and go, oh, that's Matthew 24. Oh, that's Daniel chapter 10. Oh, that's Revelation chapter 3. I could, wouldn't that be amazing? Like my son come, hey, daddy, this happened today. And you know what it made me think about? This passage of scripture, but this happened, this happened, this happened. I'd be like, oh my gosh, it'd be amazing. So all of these kids were like that. They're adults by now. They have read and understood. So when Jesus came down the hill into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, they took notice. They were like, wait a minute. Is he doing what I think he's doing? Now, see, there was always a group of people, and I'm thankful for this group of people because I like to think I belong to this group of people, and I like to think you belong to this group of people, to where we recognize and it makes us rejoice, where the recognition of who God is causes us to rejoice in who God is. But there is a group of people who, when they recognize, they get fearful. It makes them kind of want to ridicule it instead of rejoice. It makes them want to try to demean it. It makes them want to try to stop it because they're worried. Now, if enough people start believing this, you see, humanity knows what God knows too on this front, that if the people, if enough people would understand, realize, and receive who God is, something can happen to the ways of this world. And the, and the smart people, the Pharisees, they knew that. They said, all right, these people are getting a little too uh, bought into this thing. And this guy, he's leading them. Look what he's doing. He comes riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. You don't remember what Zechariah said, do you? Y'all remember? He's trying to say he's it. He's saying he's the Messiah. And they said, we can't have that. But on that day, they began to give praise and adoration. They, were, they went and grabbed palm, trees off of, uh, palm limbs off of trees and laid them on the ground, and they threw their coats on the Like They were like, yes, this is our king. They said, Hosanna, which means please save us. Like They knew who he was, man. They knew the spirit of God. At the moment he saddled that donkey and walked through the, the gates of that city, it was like a eye-opening experience where everyone's like, oh, that is him. Oh, man. And in that moment, in that moment, they were shouting with joy and shouting with praise. And it started off the week with a bang. Yes, he is here. Our king is here. He's coming to set everybody free. He's going to flip the Roman government on its end. He's going to set us free, restoring Israel to its power. Yes, our king is here. But they were kind of right in their expectation of what he was going to do. He did not only set the Roman Empire on its end, he set all of history on its end. He flipped that thing upside down, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But on that day, they were throwing palm branches. And you know what it reminded me of? If you go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, I believe, there's a man by the name of Jehu 
who the Bible talks about when he was anointed king. He rode into the city and they began to lay their coats down and they began to lay down palm branches celebrating the entry of the king. I'm telling you, they knew who he was. They knew who he was. And that's what provoked this response. And the Roman government was like, this is dangerous. And not only that, the Pharisees, the Jewish hierarchy, they said, this is dangerous. Why? Because they didn't recognize it. How many knows that there will be people in your life that if they aren't the ones to recognize Jesus in something, they will not endorse you doing it? Well, I don't think it's of God. I don't think that's right. Honey, you don't have to think anything. I could give two cents less about what you think. I'm worried about what he thinks. I'm worried about doing what he says. I'm worried about being who he's called me to be. I don't need your approval. Now, I'd love for you to buy into what God's doing. And I'd love for you to do so in a way that it changes your home. Because here's the truth of it. If I can live this life in a way that displays God's grace and you buy into what God's doing, your home, your life, your children, your marriage, your job, everything can change because of it. But I don't need it. And Jesus didn't need the Pharisees' approval either because he was God. He orchestrated it from the beginning to the end. He orchestrated the donkey being found. He orchestrated the Passover room being found. He orchestrated the time that he would display and declare to everybody in a way that says, let's get this thing going. I'm ready to die. My time is come. And so he made this bold declaration. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you made a bold declaration in your life? Bold declaration of who Christ is in you. When's the last time you made one of them? I'm not talking about getting on Facebook and posting a little scripture. I'm not talking about getting on Facebook and getting in an argument with people about political stances and how you're wrong and they're right. And all. I'm not, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when's the last time you made a bold declaration of who God is in your life by how you're living, not what you're saying. You see, Jesus didn't need to tell people. He, didn't make, he did not say one word. He didn't say, I'm the Messiah, even when he stood before Pontius Pilate. He said, tell me who you are. Are you who they say you are? He said, you say that. You say that. Because here's what's so good about Jesus. He's less concerned about what is said, more concerned about what's done. He said, I'm going to tell you what. I don't need to tell you who I am. Just go ahead. Whip me. Beat me. Put the crown of thorns on my head. Nail me to the cross. Raise me up. Watch me die. Put me in that tomb. And then I don't need to tell you anything. You fixing to see who I am. <laughs> yeah, now, see, I was waiting and hoping that that might get some people going because that's the God's honest truth. He said, I don't need to tell you who I am. Give me three days. I want to show you. <laughs> I don't need to go around with a t-shirt that says, I am him. No, no, no. I don't need to walk around with flyers handing them out saying, come see me. I'm who you say I am. No, honey, let me show you who I am. Kill me, bury me, and I'm going to tell you what. You fixing to see me. Do you see what I see? Do you see that the grave is empty? Do you hear thunder rolling? Do you see there is six feet under a shaking happening in that day? I don't need to tell you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you who I am on this entry, riding this donkey. And I'm going to show you who I am at the other side of this week when I come up out of that grave and show you that not only, not only do I have the authority to raise another man from the dead, but I myself can die. And the power that is within me is so strong. Oh, 
Hey, the power within me is so strong that that once was dead is going to come back to life because the power did not die the day he went on that cross. The power was inside stirring and shaking and moving inside of that dead mortal body. And on day three, when it was his time, before no one had to say a word, God himself didn't walk to the tomb of Jesus and say, come forth, son. He did not orchestrate Peter, the boldest one, and say, hey, I need you on Sunday to come by the tomb. And I need you to say, because it's all in the word, it is not in what is said. It is what is inside of that man that is inside of you today that can bring forth everything you need. And it all started with a shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is my king. I wonder, do you know him? How you like it? In a little, little SM Lockridge, Lockridge with you if you want to. Y'all go watch that. That's a good stuff. Amen. Joshua, would you come, big, big man? Because Holy Week got started with a shout. It got started with a shout from the people recognizing who God is. I want so bad for everyone in this room to leave with such a clear recognition of who God is and what he is about. It's about seeing the glory of God, man. It is not about what he can do for me because he's already done for me what no one else could do, Chris. I didn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. There was nothing on planet earth that Danny Walker could have done to go from dead to life. It ain't possible. But now I stand. You see, those people that were trying to get to him the night before when he was staying with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, They were coming to see him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And I began to think, you know what? Juxtapose to that. They were coming to see him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. I get to see him because he was raised from the dead. I get to see Jesus because he was raised from the dead. You see, I'm not coming because of what he did for somebody else. I get to see what he did on Calvary. I get to see in hindsight the tomb. I get to see the stone rolled away. I get to see the empty grave. I get to see that because of him being raised from the dead. And I love that the Holy, that holy Week got started with a shout. But can I take you? If you would allow me, can I take you to Mark Chapter 15, and we will be finished. I will. The Lord will do whatever he wants to do. So after after the triumphal entry and people shouting Hosanna to the son of David, they recognizing that he was the heir of David, the lineage thing was lining up, the colt and the donkey thing lined up. It's him. Let's go change our circumstance. Fast forward, literally four days, four days go by, and Jesus' circumstances change. He's no longer on a donkey, riding through the gate of the city, making this bombastic declaration of who he is without saying a word. People are no longer rejoicing over the, what he's done and what he's doing because they see him in a different situation. And what is that situation? He's already been betrayed. He's already been arrested. And he's standing before the people. And listen to what he says. Listen to what happens. Chapter 15 of Mark says this, verse 6. We're going to start here and then we'll read the two passages that are key. Verse six says, it's now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they ask. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barnabas, Barabbas, sorry. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Hey, you gonna let somebody go? And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews. Now often we just blow right by that and get to where they 
where we're going to go here in just a moment. But I want to show you the sovereignty of God even in other people. Because here's what I believe. I believe God had Pilate utter those four words. King of the Jews. Because it was that, that is what made them so angry. I believe if if maybe if Pilate has said, do you want me to release this Hebrew from Nazareth named Jesus? I believe maybe there might have been a different response, Dad. But the Lord in his sovereignty knew that and said, we're going to do it in a way that pokes at the people because my plan has to move forward. So he said, do you want me to release to you your king? They were like, we have no king. There is no one that has authority over us. Don't you give him that that title. We did not elect him. We did not choose him. He is not part of us. We don't like him. He said, would you have me to release the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. He said, he knew it. They were jealous that this no-name guy from Nazareth who esteemed them no greater than anybody else would dare be called the king. Listen to this. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release to them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Did it again to him. Verse 13. And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? I honestly believe that this man was heartbroken for Jesus. I truly believe. I believe that Pilate had had a revelation of who this guy was. I honestly, his spirit bore witness. There's something different about this guy. I stood before him and I can feel it, man. He ain't a normal guy. There's there's something coming out of him and, and all I know is this ain't right. And he says, so, so what do you want me to do? He said, crucify him. He's like, why? There's no, he did nothing wrong. He, he, didn't, he didn't come in and start killing people or, or leveling the city. He, he loved people. He led people and he served people and he healed people. Why do you want me to crucify him? He said, what evil has he done? But listen to this. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Four days, four days passed. And what started out the week with a shout of praise now is setting in motion the next three days that would bring us salvation. Now, I'm not going to condemn them because it had to be done. It had to be done. It was the only way, Stan, that we could ever come to know him. They had to shout it. They had to shout it. They had to say crucify him. They had to stay in that path for me, for you, for you, for you, for you, for all of us. The shout had to stay that way. It had to go from Hosanna to crucify. It had to go from save us to kill him. It had to. It had to start with a shout. Now the words were different. And here's what I want to finish with. There's a moment in your life where your heart will be open to the realization of who Jesus is. And you'll have the option to say, please save me. 
or to turn away from him and say, crucify. That's not worth my life. It's not worth it. But here's here's the sad truth about living in this life called Christianity. I want to speak to some of y'all today real fast. Is that even after salvation, our own shouts can quickly turn from Hosanna to crucify him. It may not be with your words, but with how you're living. That says, God, please save me, but oh, wait a minute, not here. That says, hey God, please save me, but oh, wait, not, not here. But she's like, I, I need all of that. God's like, no, you're like, no, 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 no. No, you stay on the cross. Because if you come down, then you can, you can interrupt my day. You can interrupt my life. You stay on the cross. And then you find yourself struggling with everything in the world that you thought you had gotten victory over. Man, I remember I used to shout it and have no worries. Now I'm depressed. Now my mental health is just gone. You do realize, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to launch onto this, but you do realize that, that the enemy loves nothing more than to cripple you in your mind so that you have no ability to walk out the victory God has for you. You realize that, right? If he can, if he can get you down here, then your shout won't ever come out. You'll hold that shout in. And just like they say, it all started with a shout, you realize your victory today starts with a shout. It starts with a declaration. I realize who you are and I know what you can do. I shout unto you, God, that you are powerful. You are worthy. You can move. Your glory can invade my life and I can be changed. My marriage restored. My mind restored. My hope renewed. My vision rekindled. You can do that for me. And so I want to shout to you this morning. I want to shout to you. Not just with my words, but with my life. Let my life be a shout unto the Lord. And let this week, I'm asking you, can we mirror what happened those thousands of years ago? Can we start this day off, this week off, with a shout and say our King, has come. My king has shown up on the scene. The one who loved me above all else. The one who chose me. The one who has given me a new life. The one who took my mess and made it glory. The one who took my troubles and gave me triumph. The one who took my problems and gave me praise. Like, God, can I just shout to you today? I'm asking as a church, can we begin to shout unto God and say, hey, this week, I want to start it off right. I want to start off my week right. Say, hey, I love you. You're glorious. You're beautiful. You're worthy. God, I'm shouting to you today. It starts with a shout.